Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on The Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Hey, Venture. It's December. Believe it or not, December's here and Christmas is coming and we've got so much planned. We've got Christmas Eve services that we'll be able to do in person this year. And this year we're going to have the Winter Wonderland. Uh, It's a winter festival that, that we've literally been planning for a year. We wanted to do it a year ago. COVID shut us down. We can do it this year. It's going to be over four different times, three nights and one afternoon next weekend. So Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night from four to eight o'clock, right out front here, our whole front parking lot will be turned into a winter festival. And it's for everybody in the family. There'll be all different types of games, activities. We've got a sledding hill with real snow, a place for snowball fights, uh, we, we also have bounce houses for kids and a trackless train and Christmas trees, luminaries, It'll be a live nativity and also entertainment, different groups that'll be singing or playing. Literally, it is designed as a winter festival that you, your family, and especially your friends can come be a part of. We're doing it over the four nights because we want you to partner with us in a couple of different ways. One, invite somebody. Uh, we don't do this for you as the church. We do this with you so that you can invite your friends. And hopefully as they begin a connection here, it begins a journey where people that may be far from God or far from church begin that journey toward Jesus Christ. So make sure you invite somebody. And then secondly, will you sign up to serve? Uh, we, we need about, I think, 150 people still to serve over the four nights. And in every spot where you serve, it's pretty simple. But we need people there who have a heart to reach our community. And so I want to encourage you, go online, make sure you get the information, get get one of the flyers, get somebody, invite them, but also go online and look for how you could serve and partner with this as well. I'm really excited about it because I think this whole month allows us to turn outward. It allows us to reach our community. And, And I think we're offering some activities, we're offering some messages that I know our world desperately needs today. In fact, before we dive into this message and new series, why don't we take a moment and just uh, pray, pray for our winter wonderland, pray for all that we have planned, and pray for how we can be a part of it. Will you pray with me? Father, I do thank you. I thank you for the excitement of Christmas. I thank you for this time of year. I thank you for what it means. I thank you as a church, you've given us an opportunity to serve our world. And, And I pray, would you bring people on this campus who are far from you? Would you point them to you? Would we have the opportunity of introducing them to the joy of Christmas that is only found in Jesus Christ? And we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, this series and this month, we're focusing on the theme of joy, and specifically the joy of Christmas. Because there's few things in the world that should produce more joy than Christmas. But if you you look at the world today, joy can feel kind of elusive. It's interesting. I was reading an article in the New York Times. Uh, A woman named Laura Holson wrote it, and, and she wrote it about joy. She said, joy, it seems, is everywhere these days when it comes to marketing. It's used to sell boxes at Ikea. It's included in ads for drinks at McDonald's. It's used as a prescriptive. There are t-shirts that shout joy is an act of resistance. There's the Chasing Joy podcast. There's a number of books that are being published devoted to joyful living or joyful marriage or joyful productivity. 
But then she asks this, if joy is everywhere, why does happiness feel so elusive? Why has so much changed in our world? When politics in this era has divided Americans into two camps, angry and angrier. She says our world is threatened by climate change. The booming United States economy is showing signs of fatigue. And I kind of laugh when I read this because she wrote this in September of 2019. Little did she know when she wrote these words, COVID was right around the corner and all that we would go through. You know, as I, I think about Christmas this year and I think about our desperate need for real joy, sustainable joy, and how much it's tied into the message of this season. And I want to encourage you. We're going to focus all month on how we can participate in that joy. Now, I know for some of you, you go, Tim, this is actually a hard season for me. This is a, a sorrowful. Many people have lost someone. Many people are going through hard times. And, and so I'm, I'm not just talking about what she's describing here, where we use joy as a marketing campaign as a church. And we're trying to manufacture some feelings. We want to look in Scripture and look specifically where the Bible calls us to joy and how that joy is produced. And I think you specifically as well see it in the Christmas story, especially for what it means in the world. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 2. We'll, we'll look at the passage here. And, and Luke chapter 2 is one of the most famous chapters in the Bible. We know it so well. And, and every year as a pastor, you know, when you're preaching through Christmas series, you're always looking at the different characters in the story and how they, we can relate to them. And so you preach from Mary's perspective or preach from Joseph's perspective or the wise men or the shepherds. And, and we'll look at these different parts. But there's a character and a group of characters in this story that I really think we don't often look at as people we could imitate. I'm talking specifically about the angels. The angels in Luke 2. I mean, we kind of think of the angels, you know, as these divine messengers of God. There's these spirit beings. And uh, if, if you're not a follower of Christ, maybe you look at angels and the whole categories outside your, your wheelhouse. I, here's all we know from Scripture. Angels are servants of God. They're powerful servants of God. They're His messengers. They carry out His will. And they are able to live in a dimension in a way that we don't always sense them. But at times they pop up in Scripture. And especially if you look at the beginning of these stories around Jesus' birth, we see angels several times because they're declaring a really radical message. In Luke chapter 2, after Mary and Joseph were gone to Bethlehem, and after they're there, and, and while they're in that region, and they have the baby Jesus, it says in the first part of verse 8 and 9, in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Shepherds were in the same region. We know there was a field where they kept sheep about two miles outside of Bethlehem. And, and, and so a couple of miles away, shepherds are down for the night, and suddenly an angel appears. And when it says the glory of the Lord shone round them, I mean, you're talking about this bright, blinding light. And they were with great fear. Literally, the, the, the phrase is they were terrified. And then their response, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy 
that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, as I looked at this angelic pronouncement, and again, here would be the difference. So often we're looking at the stories, how we relate to it. But I was really looking at it going, what can I learn from the angels? In fact, the more I began to study this passage, I was amazed at it. And maybe you hear that and you go, Tim, if there's any passage I've heard at Christmas, I've heard Linus in the Charlie Brown special say it a hundred times. And yet when, when you start digging in in it, you realize it's pretty radical what they're stating and what they're promising, especially in the context of that world. And I think that's what we often lose. But I'll just walk you through it a little bit, and then we'll turn it toward how we could apply it. And I'll ask you some questions of evaluation for your own life, and then we're going to end with some action steps. As you look at it, so the angel said to them, and the first thing we see here, he says, fear not, fear not. In fact, this is the number one command in Scripture. More than any other, we're commanded, fear not, fear not, fear not. And every time the angels show up, they say, fear not. Now, there's good reason. I mean, it'd be kind of terrifying if you're out there and an angel shows up. But, but there's a deeper reason, and I think the reason God gives us this command over and over to not fear is that, frankly, we're a fearful people. In fact, I, I saw there's a site an interesting guy. His name is Fred Culbertson, and he's collected and organized strange phobia. He's got a site, phobialist.com. And so he's gone through, and, and he says in it that all these phobias are documented. They're real ones, medical ones. Listen to some of these. One of these is pelidophobia. It's the fear of bald people. Okay. Geniophobia. It's the fear of chins. I have a fear of my second one forming. I don't know if I've got a fear of chins in general. Allophobia. It's the fear of flutes. So this isn't somebody you want to give tickets to the symphony, I guess. This one, I even have a hard time pronouncing it. It's Periscavidacatriophobia. I'm sure I said that wrong. It's fear of Friday the 13th. I don't know if it's talking about the movies or that day. Probably the day in it. Entherophobia. Fear of mother-in-law. Not going to touch it. Just leave it alone. Pteranophobia. The fear of being tickled by feathers. Now again, I look at these and I go, this is crazy. But that's what he's saying. These are literal phobias that people have. Now, the reality is we, we are fearful people. I, I, I looked up one of my own. There's actually one angelophobia. It's the fear of angels. And, and especially people are fearful that angels have arrived and they're going to bring judgment. Now, why would they have that fear? In fact, why would the shepherds be fearful of an angel? I, you know, frankly, there's good reason when you read through the Old Testament. Often when the angels show up, it's not a good sign. It's usually a sign of judgment. It's usually they're executing that judgment when they come. Now, it's interesting when we get to the New Testament, something changes. Now the angels are showing up, and they're not bringing a message of judgment. They're now bringing a message of hope and peace. In fact, if you look at it, they say, fear not. Why? For behold, I bring you good news. I'm not here to judge. 
I'm not here to execute. I'm here to bring you this good news. Now, again, this is one of those phrases, good news, that uh, it's also translated gospel. If you saw it in the Greek, this word good news, the Greek word, euangelizomai, euangelizomai, or, or gospel is euangelion, euangelion. I, for English speakers in Greek, they didn't use the V. We, we would probably transliterate it, evangelion. Now, when I put this word up here, what word do you see in the middle of it? Evangel. And so any of the words that we use today, like evangelize, that means to share the good news. Or evangelical. Oh, that's a political term almost today. You know, literally that term started around people who identified their lives around the gospel. They identified around this good news. Now, as we see it in this passage, when they say, you know, we're here to share good news, we immediately go to Scripture, we go to Jesus, we go to the gospel. But when the shepherds heard that term, good news, that's actually a term that was used often in the world, especially in the Roman Empire. In, in fact, often they would send a herald, the emperor, if he had new news he wanted to share, especially if there was a military victory, the herald would come into town and he would say, I want to share this gospel. I want to share this good news that's happened in the empire. We've defeated the Egyptians or we've defeated the Carthaginians. I mean, they would just share that. So that term gospel or good news is very common. In fact, it's fascinating to me if you look at the history of the Roman Empire, starting with Julius Caesar, if you know your Roman history, Julius Caesar recognized what he thought the Roman Senate was not going to be powerful enough. And so as he began to seize power and made himself emperor, he was assassinated for it in 44 BC. But his nephew, who he named as his successor, Octavius, who became Caesar Augustus, he, he was able to negotiate the politics of it while in the same way seizing power in it. And one of the key things he did in that process over the years from when he was named emperor in 27 BC, as he consolidated this power, he identified himself as not just Caesar, but he was also Lord. He, he was God. In fact, often they had money printed that Caesar was the son of God, that Caesar was the curios. And so when they would make these pronouncements of this good news, this gospel of Caesar, in some ways, it sounded very similar to what the angels were pronouncing. In fact, there's an inscription. It goes back to 9 BC. So this is several years before Christ was born. And it's about Caesar Augustus. It's the Prean calendar inscription is what it's called today. And you see the actual stone. L look what it says in it. It says, The providence which has ordered the whole, life of our, uh, whole of our life has ordained the most perfect consummation for human life by giving it to Caesar Augustus. So in other words, the world has made the greatest human ever, Caesar Augustus, by sending him, as it were, and look what it calls him, a savior for us. And those who come after us to make war to cease, to create order everywhere. The birthday of the God, Augustus, was the beginning, and here's our word again, the beginning of the gospel or the good news for the world that came by him. Now, I point this out 
to show you that when the angels said this, when they used this term, this good news, the shepherds have heard this before. They've heard the Roman authorities. They were always saying, here's the good news of what our emperor has done. Here's the good news of how our empire has expanded. Here's the good news of this new victory that we have. And yet, notice the difference in what the angels proclaim. They say, good news of great joy that will be for all the people. See, every time Caesar made a pronouncement of a gospel or good news, every time the herald would say it, it was good news if you were one of the powerful people in Rome, if you were a Roman citizen, if you were the one that had the power and the might to be able to extend it around the world and oppress anybody you wanted, especially the Jewish people who felt that oppression and felt the thumb of Caesar on them. So every time they heard him pronounce, oh, it's a gospel, it's good news, they went, yeah, right. And then the angels go, no, actually, I've got some different good news. And this good news actually produces great joy. And it's going to be for all people. Not just Roman citizens. Not just Jewish citizens. Not for any one nationality. It's going to be for the whole world. And, and how can he say that? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now again, I, I love the radical part of this pronouncement. Remember I told you, Caesar Augustus, he would print coins that said he was the Savior. He would print coins that literally said he was the Son of God. And especially this word, curios, this was a word used only for Caesar. In fact, they would say, Caesar curios, Caesar is Lord. And suddenly the angels go, well, actually, I've got good news that a Savior, and that word soter, a rescuer, one who will throw off the oppression, who's also the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the ones that everyone had been longing for. He's also the Lord. You you know, in the New Testament, this is the only time these three terms are ever used together in this way. Such a unique pronouncement. Because it's pointing very uniquely that Jesus Christ, while Caesar may use the same terms, he actually embodies them. While Caesar grabs these terms to inflate his power, Jesus actually is this power and is willing to humble himself to the point that this will be the sign for you. This is how you know it's real. You're going to find this baby wrapped in swaddling cloth. You're going to find this Christos. You're going to find this Lord, this Savior, the Messiah, as a baby in a manger. And and it's a sign. Here, I I want to point it out to you because it's going to happen real, in real time, in real space. And as it continues, suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. They they suddenly, they just start praising God because what they're saying in this moment is only God could come up with a plan like this. Only God could attain this. Only God could do this. Part of what the angels model for us is there's a place to just stop and worship God. And and I think one of the reasons we love to worship so much at Christmas, that 
Christmas is this combination of the majesty and the mystery of God's plan, of how God would come as a little baby in a manger in order that he could lead us as Savior and Lord, in order that he really could bring good news of great joy for all people. And I think that's one of the reasons we love to worship in this season. It's one of the reasons we love to sing. One of the reasons I love our Christmas Eve service. I I love just in the moment the majesty of being able to worship what only God could do. And the angels model that for us. They say glory to God in the highest, but notice they don't stop there. They say on on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. On earth, he's bringing an actual peace on earth that people can have peace with God, that people can experience peace with each other because God's pleased with them because of what this child will do. Now, again, it's it's interesting because remember, he's saying this under the reign of Caesar Augustus. And if you look in history, Caesar Augustus, of all the Caesars, is the one who's said to have established the Pax Romana, the the hundreds, almost 200 years of peace that they experienced in Rome. But it was a peace that was purchased through bloodshed, through oppression, through power and might. And frankly, it was a peace that you got to experience if you were one of the haves not if you're one of the have-nots. See, what Jesus brings, His good news, His gospel, is so much more radical. Because it's a peace, not just in one country, not just in one empire, it's literally a peace with God Himself and a peace with each other in a way that lasts forever. Because that's the announcement of the angels. That's what they declared that night. And and you put it in that context and you realize what God commissioned them with, that he sent them as the first messengers to declare good news, to declare gospel, to declare it to the world. But isn't it interesting, think back since that time, since that first generation with Christ, where do we see angels doing this declaration today? Here's what I'm asking in that. Isn't it strange that God used angels to be the first ones to declare this message? But who has he chosen to use today? See, he didn't use angels to be the ones to declare. They could. And doesn't mean that they can't in exceptional circumstances where God uses angels to show up and, and show people who Christ is. But, but if you read through the New Testament and you look at the last 2,000 years of history, You know who he chose to be the ones to declare this message, this good news, this gospel? His church. That's why Paul says in in Corinthians, he says in 520, he, he says, we are ambassadors of Christ. That God makes his plea through us. That God makes this declaration through us. So what the angels did when Christ was born, now the message has been given to us that we're the people that declare that to the world. We're the people that are those heralds to the world. And and that's what got me thinking, okay, if that's our role today, if we're those messengers, what could we learn from the angels? And and so I want to ask you, just kind of as I think about what they did and what they said, and I've been processing this in my own life, I want to ask you three questions 
And then I want to give you three action steps. Here's the first question I would just ask you. Are you a fear not or a fear a lot person? Are you a fear not or a fear a lot? Here's what I mean with that. When the angels spoke, what's the first thing they say? They say fear not. In fact, every time you see them show up, they go fear not, fear not, fear not. You don't have to be afraid. Fear not. Are you a person that when you speak, if somebody evaluated what you said and what you post and what you write about and how you present, are you a person that they would go, oh man, that's a fear not person? Or were you a person that when you speak, someone walking away would go, oh man, we should fear a lot. I mean, you, you look at it out there, we, we got to fear COVID and we got to fear the government. We got to fear what's going on in the courts and what's going on in the schools. And we got to fear what's going on in the economy. And we got to fear what's social media. We got to fear what they're showing on TV. And we got to fear, fear. Are we fear not people? Or are we fear a lot people? Now, I know some of you go, yeah, but Tim, those are reasonable fears. And I'm not discounting them. And, and so you go, we have a lot to fear in our world. I would say the same thing was true of those shepherds in that first generation. They had a lot to fear in the world. They had a horrible government system. They faced dangers we can't even fathom. And so when the angels told them to fear not, they're not discounting those things. The reason they don't fear is not because the world has suddenly become safe. The reason they don't have to fear is because God's now with them. He literally loves them so much, He's come to be with them. He's taken on human flesh. He's taken on what no one could do. He, he's God with us. That's why we don't fear. That, that's why Paul says it in Romans 8.31, after he's gone through everything that we should reasonably fear, life and death and principalities and angel, angels and anything that you can come up with, he says, what shall we say to these things? What do you say to all these things that are in the world? You know what his statement is? If God's for us, who can be against us? I mean, if God is for us, and if Christmas shows us anything, guys, God's for us. God's literally with us. He's literally doing for us what we could not do when He came as God and man and lived and died and rose again. And I think we would do well if we're learning from the angels. Are we people that are willing to say, fear not? We don't have to live in fear. And we don't have to be marked as fear a lot people. Now, as I say that, and I don't want to be careful on this because some people struggle with fear more. Um, some of you, maybe you're struggling with some of the emotions. Some things are valid of the emotion of fear. And, and I loved, uh, I was reading uh, the work of Scott Swain. And I loved how he put this because I think he, he presents it, a picture of it, of how do we do this in a reasonable way? L listen as he says. He says, it seems that folks sometimes offer biblical encouragements like fear not or do not be anxious and so on. As if the heart were a cup full of fear or anxiety that needs to be emptied of those emotions so that it can be filled with the alternative emotions. So when you hear that, you go, okay, fear not. Okay, I got to get rid of all those fears so I can now take on the right emotions. He says, however, it fails to understand that sorrow and fear and anxiety are not always sinful emotions. 
In fact, such emotions may constitute appropriate responses to the loss, actual or threatened, of real goods. And this is the switch that I really like that he said. The heart is more like a scale, specifically a balanced scale. You think of the, a scale that has the two sides of it. The kind that's often used to symbol for justice because it's two sides weigh different arguments and positions in the process. A proper use of biblical encouragements and exhortations will take this picture of the heart into account. Instead of biblical encouragements should be offered as counterweights. So doing so would look like this. You might say to someone, I know that your heart is rightly heavy with sorrow due to the loss of some good thing. Maybe you're going through a season of sorrow right now and your heart is heavy with it. Maybe you're facing something unknown right now and your heart feels that fear. It's not that you have to be this cup that you empty all that out so you can receive what God says. Actually, you could be overwhelmed by these present circumstances. You may be uncertain of what tomorrow may bring. However, let me offer you a counterweight. Not to remove these emotions, but to place them in relation to the larger reality. The reality of God's sovereign goodness, attention, and purpose, which offer solid reasons for encouragement. These counterweights don't remove the weights of our heart. Rather, they provide the consolation, the weight in the middle of it. Here's what he's describing, and I want to be real clear on this, because some of you, you are facing real fears. Some of you, you're facing real sorrow. And when we talk about do not be afraid, or we talk about do not or be, be full of joy in that, you feel like that, that i got to be this cup, i got to dump all these things out, and it's impossible. Those are real emotions you're feeling. Here's what Scripture's saying in this. Yes, you've got the weight of your fears. Yes, you've got the weight of your sorrows. But there's a counterweight of Jesus Christ. That he's in your life. That he's in your world. That's what Paul means when he says, if God is for us, if I let the reality of Christ in my life be my presence every day, if I choose to find joy in him because he came, because what he did, because of the good news of who he is, if I let that weight settle in my life, that weight becomes my reality. These things may never fully leave you because you're still in those circumstances. But you're choosing not to fear because of the weight of Christ in your life. Uh, second thing I think we should just evaluate in it, does the presence of Jesus in your life bring great joy? Does it bring great joy? Now again, I, I use the same analogy of it's not that you throw out the sorrow. Some of you, I've got friends, I know that this is a hard season. You're going into a Christmas season. Some of you, for the first time, you've lost a loved one. And you miss them. And you grieve them. And you should. But do you allow in that sorrow the counterweight of who Christ is? of what he's done, of why he came. Bring the reality of your world so that, that weight you can choose joy even in the hard circumstances. And we'll talk more about what that looks like in this series. I would say for many of us, maybe we're not going through sorrows, maybe we're not going through hard circumstances. I would say for a lot of people, our lives are not marked by joy. And I think it's one of the worst witnesses for the church. 
I mean, as you look at it, this joy that is in life, I, if you look at the early church, look at them in Acts 2. It says they worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Look at this. They shared their meals with great joy and generosity. Man, they were speaking joy. They were living joy. And they were giving joyfully. All the while praising God, enjoying the goodwill of the people, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. I, I, I would just ask this question. If you were to ask someone on the street today, describe an evangelical. Describe an evangelical Christian. Would great joy be one of the things that marked their lives? What they said about them? Would they go, oh yeah, oh man, they are the most joyful people. Or would it be maybe a political term or an angry term or an against term? And I don't say that because I'm worried about the perception out there. I say that though, that it's strange to me that the very term evangelical comes from this root of good news. This good news of great joy. And one of the things that marked the early church in really hard times is that they were, they were people of joy. And so I think it's good for all of us to ask us, ourselves, man, am I joyful? Do I have a joy that's based on the reality of Christ in my life? And I'm choosing that reality every day. Third thing I just ask, how are you sharing the good news in a world that desperately needs it? How are we doing what the angels did? One thing about angels, and I love this, angels obey. God tells them to do something, they go do it. Uh, it's just part of every time you read that. There's messenger, there's servants, there, there's like no lag time. They just do it. And in the same way, I, I would ask us, since we're now the ones who are the ambassadors for Christ, we're now the ones commissioned with this message of good news. We're the one taking it to the world. Man, are we sharing it with people? Are you sharing it with friends and neighbors? Are you looking for opportunities just to have a spiritual conversation? I'm not talking about you've got to right out of the gate sit down with somebody and man, you're going to share the whole plan. They're probably not ready for that, especially in a culture here where we live around people who are far from God. We live around people who are far from Christianity. We live around people, they've never experienced this. And so it's going to be conversations, just spiritual conversations, listening to them, talking to them, thinking about it, looking for it. Here's the question though, are you looking? When, when's the last time you had a conversation with someone that was spiritual in nature at all? With the hope that you could move them one step closer to hearing about Jesus Christ. You know, uh, Kathy Tricoli is a, a recording artist, Christian recording artist. She's won Dove Awards and nominated for Grammys and you know, in the music industry, worked with the Beach Boys back in the day. She, she described how she came to Christ. She said, I grew up in a home that wasn't Christian. She said, we had a Bible. The Bible was that book that stayed on the end table that no one ever touched. One summer, she was working at a swimming pool. She was working as a lifeguard. And she had a coworker there, a girl there. And, and here's all that triggered it. She saw her reading the Bible, like more than once. Like she'd be on her break and she'd read the Bible. Till finally, she just asked her, what, what is it with you in the Bible? I've never seen anybody read the Bible. And they just started a conversation. 
And through talking about the Bible, she started talking about Jesus. And as she said, she started describing a Jesus I'd never heard about. And then she challenged her. She got her, uh, her own Bible. She said, you ought to read this too. You ought to read these Gospels, that good news. In fact, that's, that's all those four books are doing. They're sharing good news about Jesus. And through reading it, she came to Christ. Guys, it, it, it's not rocket science. But if we're the ones that have been commissioned with this message, if God has deemed His church are the ones that get to share the good news, shouldn't we be about it? Shouldn't, shouldn't we learn from angels that, man, when God says do it, we just do it. And we recognize that's why I'm here, that I get to be that ambassador that shares that. So how do we put this in action? Let me give you three simple steps. And, and I really want us to focus on action because James says, don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer. And I think too often in preaching, one thing I've learned in the last couple of years, a lot of our preaching is for hearing and learning. And actually, the Bible says it should be for doing. And so here's what I would challenge all of us to do. One, write a personal note. Write a personal note. Share some joy with someone. It can be a note of thanks or encouragement or just reconnection with somebody who needs joy. And th this could be maybe somebody who knows Christ or doesn't. I, I just would challenge you in a season when people need joy, you would be amazed if you would just stop and take some time. And maybe it's a text. Maybe it's an email. Maybe you could do something for young people. We... we have this radical thing called stationery where you actually write out notes and then you put a stamp on a letter and you mail it. It's amazing technology and actually pretty powerful. Here's what I want to ask everybody who's a part of the Venture family. I want you to encourage somebody this week because if we're going to be a church and people of great joy, we need encouragement. If we're going to be people that fight fear, and, and really call people to fear not, we need to know who's in our camp. We need to connect with it. And so I, I just ask you, maybe even today, take some time and reach out to a person or two and speak that joy into their life. The second thing I'd ask everybody to do is just pray. Pray. And, and, and what I mean here is the names of people you know that they need the good news. And start praying for them every day by name praying that God would bring that good news into their life, praying that God would open for you the awareness and the opportunity to share. I mean, part of it is we get so busy, we don't realize God's given us these conversations all around the place that we could talk to people and connect with people and listen to people. But we have to be aware of it and open to it. And that really comes through prayer. So I want everybody to write a personal note. I want everybody to pray. And then the final part, is if you're part of the Venture family, now if you're visiting with us, this doesn't really include you. Maybe you're kicking the tires or checking us out. But if Venture is your home, if you're one of our church partners, I'm going to ask you, I want you to partner with us the rest of this month. This is a month where as a church, as much as ever, we're turned outward. And so we're doing this four-day winter wonderland. We're, we're going to do Christmas Eve service. We've got four Christmas Eve services. We've got all these opportunities with this. And let me just be honest with you. If you're part of the Venture family, Winter Wonderland and our Christmas Eve services and all that we're doing, we're not doing them for you. We're not. 
We're doing them with you. Because you're the church. And if there was ever a time for the church to partner together to turn outward, it's now. And so that's why I'm asking you. I'm asking you to come to Winter Wonderland, but don't come alone. Bring a friend. I'm asking you to come and actually serve at Winter Wonderland. Be one of those winsome, joyful people all over this campus that when people come on this campus, they go, man, those people have joy. Man, that marks their life. That marks this place. Be someone who you're not just thinking now, how can I get my family together and we can have our Christmas Eve experience? You're thinking about, man, who's never experienced Christmas Eve? Who's never experienced Jesus before? And you're thinking outward. See, we don't do it for us but we do it together with Him. I'm asking you to write somebody, reach out personally, pray, and partner with us. And guys, as I close out, hear me on this, because anytime you're asked to do these kind of things, it can almost feel like, well, you're helping, you know, asking us to help you pull off what you're wanting to do. Let me tell you why I ask this. I ask it for your sake. You desperately need it. And the reason I say that, the numbers that come back for Christians today in the church today, we're not experiencing joy. And part of the reason I don't think we're experiencing joy is we're not actively partnering with God and with His church to what He placed us here to do. I mean, just think about it for a moment. If I were to ask you, what's the most joyful place in the world? Now, if you answer Disneyland, I didn't say what's the most joyful place on earth. Uh, and that's debatable even uh, with it. I said the most joyful place in all the world. It's heaven. Let I me mean, think about it. Is there any place more joyful than heaven? Do you know what Jesus said actually produces joy in heaven? It's when one person discovers that Jesus is the good news. When one person experiences salvation. Jesus literally said, the angels throw a party. Great joy breaks out in heaven. Now, now stop for a minute. You're already in the most joyful place that ever exists, and yet this is the thing that triggers a party there. Do, do you realize how important this is to God? Do you realize it's so the heart of God that when people come to Christ, He can't help but celebrate. And if you and I were created in His image and invited into His family and commissioned with this responsibility, don't you think it's going to be part and parcel of what actually produces joy in our lives? Guys, we need to be speaking this good news we need to be sharing this joy because we live in a world that desperately needs it. But we were made and called to live it. And so maybe this Christmas, what would spark joy in you the most is that you would speak this good news. That, that you would send a personal note. That you would pray for people by name. And that you would partner with us as we have the opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ. You pray with me. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the angels who were obedient to declare such a radical message to this world.
I thank you that you've given us the responsibility of sharing that good news. I pray in this season that you would use all these things that we're doing, uh, whether it's Winter Wonderland, whether it's Christmas Eve services. Lord, we can come up with settings. We can come up with programs, but only you can change hearts. And you've chosen to do that through your people as we reach out, as we share. Lord, I pray for anybody hearing this. Maybe they're struggling. They don't have joy because they don't have Jesus. Would today be the day they embrace him and experience the joy he provides? Lord, I pray for your church that maybe we're not experiencing joy because we're not about what you've called us to do. I pray today we would embrace it and relish it and partner with you. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.